Father, we need you. We need you more than anything else. Everything else that we might run to is part of this broken world that, that, that we live in. And so we have to have you. God, teach us to, to, to not turn to all these other things that, that, that capture our attention, that seem like possible solutions, but, but draw us to you, the, the source himself. God, your word says that, that you provide rest for the weary, that you are a shelter in the storm, and, and that's what we need. We need you to, to provide the, the peace that passes all understanding because we don't find that here. So God, pursue us, draw our hearts to you. Now open our ears this morning that we might receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm on staff here at the parks, and I just want to welcome you to our virtual gathering. Um, it's cool that, that we get to, 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 to gather in this way, or not gather, I guess, but, but still worship together in, in a sense. Um, we have uh, started meeting back together in person, um, and we would actually really encourage you that if you are, are able um, and if you're comfortable with doing that, to, to get on our Church Center app or on our website and register um, for that. Um, we really believe that in these um, smaller, intimate settings that we're at, because we're at a few locations so we can, we can social distance, um, we really believe that God is using these times to, to do something unique in our church, um, that this is really going to shape our, our church um, and, and draw us closer to him. So, uh, again, re register for those uh, if you're able. Um, I read recently that 2020 is kind of like uh, 1918, 1932, and 1968 kind of all rolled into one. Uh, flu pandemic, economic distress, social unrest, kind of all happening at the same time. What, what a time to be alive, right? Um, in the midst of all these crises, and, and let's not mince words, these are crises that, that we're living through. Um, we're making an important discovery, not necessarily the kind of discovery that we'd like to, to, to find, but um, we're finding that it, because of the weight of all this craziness, it, it's exposed some cracks in our cultural foundation. Our society simply doesn't have the answers many of us are, are looking for, or not adequate answers at least. Um, I mean, what am I supposed to do about racial injustice? How do I adequately care for my family in this time? How do I make the best health decisions, but also make sure we don't go insane, locked up in our homes all, all day, every day? The endless questions are exhausting, aren't they? We are crumbling, I think, under these questions, and I think many of us aren't satisfied with the answers and, and the resources our society and maybe even some of our churches are providing. And we personally are, are absent of viable solutions as well. It is this holy discontentment, this deep dissatisfaction, not only with the world, but even with yourself, that actually opens up the possibility for renewal. Often when we are at the end of ourselves, that's when God says, good, you're, you're ready. You're ready to be completely dependent on me. We're taking a break from walking through Acts. Uh, you know, usually we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. We're, we're taking a break from that to ask how God brings about renewal. 
And we saw last week that stage one includes feeling or recognizing this discontent that our world and ourselves are, are broken and stagnant and even declining. And just to kind of keep this in front of us, we defined renewal last week like this. It's the refreshment, release, and advancement that we experience when we are aligned with God's presence. The refreshment, release, and advancement we experience when we are aligned with God's presence. So, so discontentment begins to wean us off of the poisoned springs we've been drinking from, but we still have not yet begun to drink deeply from the well of living water, to, to drink in the presence of God himself, because that's our goal. That's where renewal actually takes us. And we're not there yet because really our, our structure isn't yet fit for renewal. What do, what do I mean by that, by our structure? Um, well, if, if we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, like Scripture says, um, in our holy discontent, we're discovering that our foundation, our walls, our supports are fractured and crumbling. And now we recognize that a simple paint job is not going to make the structure sound. But really, that's what we've been doing for a while now. We know that that's not working because too many people have, I, I can think of names of people who have filtered through the Christian system, right? Kids' church, uh, vacation Bible schools, youth group, uh, maybe Christian school, uh, men's and women's events, Bible studies, program after program. You've filtered through that system and have come out unscathed by the presence of God. How, how does that happen? How can you have so much exposure to biblical truth and wind up living a life consumed with yourself, enslaved to sin, in bondage to the need for approval, seeking the next fix again and again, when, when the God who stretches out the heavens like a tent, as Isaiah says, gives himself us in Jesus Christ? How? I think we have to, to say that it, it, it just might be because the 21st century Christian structure needs some demolition, it, or at least some, some radical work. Uh, Jesus says this in John 12, and this is going to kind of give shape to the rest of, of the sermon. In, in, in John 12, starting in, in verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The grain of wheat has to, to die so that it can rebirth and, and bear fruit, and that's what I think we, we, have, we have to see in our church. We have to see some things die to enter kind of stage two of, of renewal, what we're going to call the preparation stage, some things have to, to die. And, and not just um, specific sinful acts. We do need to put those kind of sinful acts to death. We have to. But really, we are encompassed by sinful thought patterns, ways we view the world, and these false frameworks have to be torn down. The damage is, is too severe. So as as we prepare for the renewing presence of God, we need to confront at least three significant 
structural damages, if you will, that really inhibit um, our, our renewal. Uh, the first structural damage is radical individualism. Uh, radical individualism characterizes our culture more accurately probably than any other term. Um, and this framework is so steeped into our culture that for most of us, it's our default. It's our, our starting point, our first language. We don't even realize that that's kind of where we're starting from. Christianity actually then gets contorted to fit onto the demands of individualism. So we hear God's word and we hear the gospel, but that lands on this framework that, that puts us at the center of everything. And so certain parts of God's revelations fall through. They don't, they don't stick because we're starting with ourselves. So let's, let's, kind of, let's kind of step back and examine maybe some of the, the contours of radical individualism a bit so that, that we can expose its shortcomings and, and see why it really needs to be torn down. Um, radical individualism really um, says that uh, you are the master of your own ship and I'm the master of mine. Uh, you stay your course, I'll stay mine. It, it sounds pretty great, actually, when you say it like that, because it seems like you have freedom to just kind of do what you need or want to do. Um, you get to claim rights. You get to express yourself however you want. You get to seek whatever fantasy pops into your head. Uh, you get to pursue power or wealth or pleasures by whatever means seem best to you. Right? It, seems, it seems great. And this, it actually permeates our whole society. I think you can, you can actually really see this on the political left and, and right. Um, they both drink from this well. One just tends to emphasize the expressive side of individualism, and one stresses the economic side. Uh, but in either case, they're really saying you are the unquestioned authority. It's, it's you. So then, uh, this framework tries to absorb the Christian faith. And the result is this Frankenstein's monster parts sewn together. It's, it's, it's horrific. Um, when that happens, people usually just latch on to, to some moral teaching from the Bible that fit with what they individually um, already believe. And then they conveniently ignore the other parts. Right? They just pick and choose what, 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 what they want. And this really twisted system um, can produce at the same time those who cry for justice for the poor and the oppressed, but turn around and have no regard for the godly purpose uh, and, and confines of sex. Or those who, who stand up for the un unborn, but lust after power and wealth and money is really what rules their hearts. Let's be honest, church. Many, for many of us, we are still at the center, not God. And what's, what's the result? We're, what we're seeing that all around is it's fragmentation, it's division. When the underlying framework of your life is that you steer the ship, you define reality, th then it's your reality against mine. It's you versus me, and we're just lucky when our goals and visions happen to line up. But society has no real bonds to form community, hence the social and political discord that we see, and why we're always bemoaning that we have no community, right? I'm guilty of that too, right? And the church with this framework 
splinters and, and languishes because we've placed the power of man up here and the power of man pales in comparison to the presence of God, which is often absent. And we individually succumb to ever-increasing bouts of loneliness and depression and, and general inner angst. We must not try to patch up this old garment with a new unshrunk cloth, to, to use Jesus' metaphor. When they're washed, they're, one's going to stretch, one's not, and they're going to be ripped and, and both ruined. I know, I know that this, this garment, this, our, our, our individualism, it's comfortable. Right? We are used to it. We're broken in. It, 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 feels, it feels good. You know, it feels good to be able to do whatever you want. But it's time for it to go. We can't patch it up any longer. It's not working. It's time that we not attempt to create our identity or define reality like we've been doing, but to acknowledge instead that Christ is king, not us, and to fall at his feet. We, I think, we have to take John the Baptist's words as our own. In, in John 3, um, starting in verse 29, John the Baptist says this. Uh, he says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So, so John here is the friend. Jesus is the bridegroom. He, he rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. He continues, Therefore, this joy of mine is now com- complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John saw Jesus and acknowledged it's not about me. It can't be about me. It's about him. The second structural damage, uh, in a way, kind of flows from the first. Um, I think the best way to say it is that our imagination is handicapped. Uh, or maybe this way instead, we lack kingdom imagination. The ability to even conceive what it would be like for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. We have drunk so deeply from the values of our culture that when we are confronted with the values of the kingdom, they don't even compute. Um, For example, uh, I've uh, worked with students on and off for a number of years, and just in conversations uh, with mostly mostly guys, I found that regardless of uh, race or ethnicity, um, social class, economic standing, uh, whether you've grown up going to church or not, uh, for most guys, they, they cannot fathom what it would mean to turn the other cheek, right? to not revile or to not insult whenever you are reviled. But, I mean, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they all say that. But it just doesn't compute. Whether you throw a punch or spit a biting insult, you just can't let someone disrespect you. Can't someone front on your manliness. you got to show them what's up. Actually, this is, this is a, a problem for our whole society. I think all of us really lack the imagination to, to see how you might stop violence without using violence. I think we do. It, we, we can't even conceive it. And so we all need, I, I need this too, because I have a problem really imagining what that would be like. We need what um, I think uh, C.S. Lewis calls a baptism of the imagination for our old imaginations to die away and for new kingdom imaginations to rise up. 
We need to be soaked in the story of God revealed in Scripture and other stories of God's kingdom advancing in the world in order to counter the the limited individualistic narrative we are trying to author. I think we can use John the Baptist's words again. He must increase, I must decrease. One last structural damage needs some work. So we've had uh, radical individual, individualism shapes our culture. Because of that, we have this lack of kingdom imagination. All of this is, has got to go and be reworked. And, and one last one, our endless consumption. Because the individualist framework makes everything about the self, consumerism reigns. Every product, every media outlet, every ideology is vying for you because they know you are at the center of your world. And so they're going to cater to your most base desires by exposing us to more and more content, which the digital age has made exceptionally easy. We really just become passive consumers engorged on ads, videos, images, and garbage. We think we run the show. It's being run for us. So when the burden of creating your own meaning and purpose and reality finally begins to weigh on you, and we're seeing more and more in our age of anxiety that that is exactly what's happening, what are we trained to do? Consume and consume and consume. Drown it out. Faced with a holy discontent, which, which we are, like, I mean, we see the problems in our, our world and we're not satisfied with that, but We've been trained just to consume, to, to look for options and solutions here on, on this plane. And, and if that one doesn't work, we just flick over to the next one and, and to the next one and to the next one. And we are fed right back into the system that caused our discontentment in the first place. Our endless consumption has to stop or else the enemy is going to continue to distract us on this plane when we need the presence of God. J.I. Packer uh, refers to God's renewing presence as a scorching presence. I love that, that image, scorching presence, because sin cannot stand before him, right? It is gone. It's burned away. So what must we do? We run to the Father. We kneel before him in confession and repentance. And we allow his presence to burn away these structural damages and and problems that we have. At every stage of renewal, we're, we're actually always going back to the presence of God. That's what we need. When Isaiah... Um, was brought before the throne room of God in a vision um, in Isaiah 6. His immediate response, immediate, was, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See there, he, he immediately kneels before the Father, and it's confession. And then what does God, God do? He, he burns away his impurity. He atones for his sin. And that's the model we have to follow. So first we confess. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The 
prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Right? Conf- con- confession has real power. Like Isaiah, we admit our personal sin as well as the sins of our culture. Right? He said, I'm, I'm, I come from a people of unclean lips. And when we, when we do that, we find this, this re- we're already beginning to release the fact that it's all about us. And when we do this, I think we need to be specific about what we're confessing. Um, Arthur Wallace, I think, is right when he says this about confession. It is time to cease excusing our sins by calling them shortcomings or natural weaknesses or by attributing them to temperament or environment. It is time to cease justifying our carnal ways and materialistic outlook by pointing to others who are the same. We must face our sins honestly in the light of God's word. View them as he does and deal with them as before him. Until we do, it would be well that God should withhold the reign of revival. We destroy our pride, the pride of our our self-centered framework when we lay our sins before the mercy of God. And we find that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he says in 1 John 1, 9, he's, he's faithful to forgive us, so let us confess our sins. And second, we repent. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we we have to repent. We, we don't lean on our own understanding, but fall on our knees before the majesty of the cross. We baptize our imagination by kneeling before the Lord in prayer and, and soaking in his word. Don't passively consume everything you are fed, but purposefully, actively feast on the presence of God. That's how we're going to see renewal in our church. This process is not going to be comfortable or easy. It might be long and arduous. It could take years. But in the end, God will transform us. He, he is faithful to do this. His word says it. He, he, he is faithful to transform us into a temple full of his joyful, peaceful, beautiful, renewing presence. And, and I think that's what we long for. So church, Let us confess and repent together. Let's pray. Father, for too long we have focused on ourselves. We've made everything about us. And so we we lack the imagination to see what life in your kingdom would actually be like. And, And We've actually turned into these consumers who turn from one thing to the next and, and ironically, uh, aren't even in control anymore. We, we are steered and shaped by so many other factors outside of us. And what we're seeing is that that leads to division. It leads to unrest. And we are tired of it, God. We are tired of it. So help us to, to lay down our pride Help us to lay down our sins, to, to be honest. We don't, we don't have to try to come to you acting like everything's perfect because it is not. We know that we are broken. So help us to, to come before you and lay that down. And even though we know it's going to be painful, 
work in us, transform us, tear down these structures in our lives that, that just aren't working. Your truth doesn't fit onto this individualistic framework. It doesn't. God, draw us to you. Let us be, be satisfied in your presence, to long for your presence more than anything else. Heal us, God. Heal our church. Guide our church as, as you guide us personally. And let, let us, let all of us be a source of renewal, of wholeness in your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.